So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and educational purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. Thanks for joining us. For today's session, we're changing things up and are covering our first TV show. Well, hello there. I believe in love at first sight, but love is tricky. Is this Joseph? I'm not a maybe. I'm the one. There are scary people in the world, Beck. I'm on to you. Jealousy got the best of me. How exactly does one get rid of a body? The things you do for love. Are you watching me? Maybe. Uh Uh-uh. Stalker. That's right. We'll be putting the bingeable show, You, on our couch today. There's a ton of great content and a lot to cover, so we're going to be focusing today's session just on season one. Hopefully we'll do another episode on season two in the future. You is described as a psychological thriller and is based off of the novel by Caroline Nepps. The first season consists of 10 episodes and can currently be watched on Netflix. Fun fact, though, it was originally aired on Lifetime, and no one really liked it that much. It got kind of panned, and then, of course, as soon as it went on Netflix, everyone became obsessed with it. Yeah, that's so interesting. You're right. As soon as it's on Netflix, everyone loves it. So what is You? So the first season of You features Joe Goldberg, who is played by Penn Bagley. Joe is a bookstore manager in New York, and one day while at work, he meets Guinevere Beck. Beck is an aspiring author, and Joe immediately becomes infatuated with her. He turns to social media and technology to learn everything he can about her, track her, literally, using her social media technology and going to her home, and ultimately eliminates any obstacles, even if there are people, that may stand in the way of their romance. Yeah, and so again, lots to cover today. Um, We could spend some time talking about serial killers today, but we won't because there are plenty other TV shows and movies that cover that um, in much more detail. Instead, we wanted to focus on something that was um, a little bit more unique to you, stalking. So Dr. Sam, tell us a little bit about what stalking is. Stalking is when an individual fears for their safety or that of a family member as a result of certain behaviors. And really, in order for it to be considered stalking, They just have to experience at least one of these behaviors on at least two separate occasions. So those behaviors are either receiving unwanted phone calls, unwanted letters or emails, being followed or spied on, um, having their stalker show up to places without a legitimate reason or waiting in other places for the intended victim, um, as well as receiving unwanted items, presents, flowers, and actually even having information posted about them on the internet 
or having rumors um, or information spread about them in a public place or by word of mouth. So definitely, you know, scary. They're fearing for their safety. But how common is stalking? So it's a lot more common along, among women, at least from what we know based on some of the statistics. So about one in six women report having been stalked and about one in 17 men report it. And again, that's just based on self-report. So these rates might be even higher than what people are saying. Um, about one in four stalking victims reported some form of cyber stalking. So like Dr. Sam mentioned, this doesn't always have to be physically following someone or showing up at their house um, unsolicited, but it could also be spreading rumors or you know stalking someone's social media or different things like that, emails texting. Um, And about three-fourths of um, individuals know the perpetrator or the offender in some way. So that's a little bit different from what we see in you. Um, Typically, it's going to be someone that the person knows. So I guess the portrayal of Peach, so uh, Beck's best friend um, being a stalker, that's a little bit more accurate. It's usually someone they know versus someone completely random like Joe that just stumbles upon them in a bookstore on a random Saturday afternoon. Yeah, great point. But kind of as we discuss all those criteria, I think we can definitely say Joe is a stalker, right? He kind of shows up in unintended places to wait for Beck. He's trying to track her steps and where she is and trying to meet with her, stealing her things. You know, um, definitely a stalker. But is that all that's going on with Joe? Beck has a couple ideas of her own about what's up with Joe. Wait, 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 please. Wait, no, no, I know you're angry. You have no idea what I am, you psychopath. I knew it was too good to be true. What are the nice things I said to you while I was locked in a cage? You actually believe that all of this is somehow justified? It is. You are insane. You think that you did some bad shit and that I did some bad shit and that this is, this is equivalent? Yeah, I lied. I cheated, but I, I didn't stalk you. I didn't hit you. I didn't kill people. I didn't do any of this. There's not a line in the world that I wouldn't cross for you. I didn't ask you to swoop in for me. You did. Your life was a mess. Yes, but it was my life. And I didn't need some sociopath on a white horse to clean house. I mean, what gives you the right? You thought that I would be grateful? (sighs) You. You are him. You are the bad thing. You are the thing that you should have killed. In that clip, we hear Beck call Joe a sociopath, broken, the bad thing, and even a psychopath. How accurate is Beck's perception of Joe that he's a psychopath or sociopath? So these are terms that get thrown around a lot in, um, you know, social media, or not social media, but media and, you know, just people using them in everyday terms. So we wanted to define them a little bit here. So neither sociopath nor psychopath are official diagnoses. um, And although they used to be used interchangeably, actually, they are unique constructs. They're two different things. Um, And there's a lot of controversy there on what these different terms mean. Um, And so I'm going to be telling you guys kind of like the general consensus, but there is, again, a lot of just different opinions about what these terms mean and they're not super well defined yet. Um, So both are characterized by like a lack of empathy or remorse, really not having a regard for other people and oftentimes characterized by like criminal or violent acts. So those are the things that these two have in common, but there are some major differences. So 
One is the sense of morality. So in general, psychopaths are thought to not really have much of a, of a moral compass. They don't really know right from wrong. It's all just really doing things for their own gain. Sociopaths, on the other hand, the idea is that there is a moral compass or a sense of morality, but it's just different in a very substantial way from like the parent culture. Um, Joe, for example, uh, might fall a little bit more on that end in terms of he seems to have an idea of what is right and wrong, but it's just very distorted and a very different way of thinking about it than Definitely. the rest of us view. Another major difference is um, how someone responds. So sociopaths are thought to be a little bit more reactive. So again, I'm thinking a little bit more of Joe on this line of it's not necessarily calculated and kind of going out and doing these things in an intended way, but kind of reacting and very impulsive when he gets very emotional and upset. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think, you know, these concepts will come up again and again in some of the other movies and TV shows that we cover. I think interestingly, Dr. Fran, you had a couple of cool pop culture examples of both of these. Yeah, so some examples might be like the Joker is a good example of what a sociopath. So again, we're seeing him much more reactive. Um, we do learn through different depictions of him, some about his background being traumatic and different things like that um, versus like Dexter, for example, which is actually a show I really love. Um, is depicts a little bit more of what we think of psychopathy. So just very um, like low arousal like kind of has like doesn't really even think much about like he doesn't really get aroused at all when he's murdering someone where um that might be something that the rest of the population you know starts to get a little anxious about or different things like that <laughs> um and something to note with psychopathy although it's not a formal diagnosis it is something that is extensively studied in psychological literature and it can be thought of as an extreme form of antisocial personality disorder which is an actual diagnosis that we'll get into a little bit more throughout the episode exactly so Thank you, Dr. Fran. I feel like that was very interesting, very helpful. And again, I think these are concepts that will come up in future episodes as well. So it's good to have kind of that primer and a little introduction into both of them. And you mentioned a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. So now we want to kind of take a deeper look at Joe, but we want to start off in thinking about what diagnoses does Joe have, if any, right? So to answer that question, we're going to introduce a new segment that we like to call Diagnosis Bingo. <laughs> For this segment, Dr. Fran and I will each have a bingo card with various symptoms and features for particular diagnoses. So in the case of Joe, we are considering antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. We're going to describe each of these in greater detail, so don't worry. Um, but as we further discuss you and Joe, we will each be checking off a symptom or feature that comes up or is in line with Joe's behavior. And once Joe demonstrates enough symptoms of the disorder to meet that criteria, Joe has earned a bingo, or in this case, a diagnosis. <laughs> so for Joe, we're considering personality disorders, but what are personality disorders? So personality disorders are a unique classification of diagnoses that are really thought of as being patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are really different from the norms of the society or the culture. Um, often these are very rigid and enduring. They're thought of to be potentially lifelong or something that um, is going on for a really long extended period of time. They can't actually be diagnosed until adulthood, but oftentimes we see features of these coming out through adolescence or earlier, again, because we're thinking that these are patterns that develop um, and that extend uh, for a long time. 
they have to cause some amount of distress or impairment because that's um, a criteria for pretty much every single diagnosis. Um, and to meet criteria for one of these, you have to have a certain number of symptoms, but the exact number does vary depending on the different diagnosis. Speaking of personality disorders, I mentioned that Dr. Fran has the bingo card for antisocial personality disorder. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I do have the bingo card for what I'm going to call from here on out as ASPD, just to make it a little bit less of a uh, mouthful. So this (laughs) is a disorder, again, that we think of as being the most similarly tied to psychopathy, even though that's not a real diagnosis. Um, ASPD is the one that's most similar to that, what most people probably think of when they're thinking of um, those different patterns of disregard for the rights of other people. Um, So this can sometimes uh, occur or be exhibited as like criminal behavior, different things like that, but like lying impulsive, aggressiveness, not really caring about the safety of other people, and definitely a lack of remorse or empathy. And then Dr. Sam, you have the bingo card for narcissistic personality disorder. Yes, and so in line with Dr. Fran, I will refer to narcissistic personality disorder as NPD, which is helpful because it starts to become quite the tongue twister. Um, So NPD is a disorder defined by a pattern of grandiosity. So either in their fantasy or behavior, um, this can manifest as a need for admiration, and we can also see a lack of empathy. So in order to meet criteria for narcissistic personality disorder, um, they have to meet five or more of certain criteria, and we'll get into those a bit more as we discuss Joe, and I'll kind of highlight which ones are on my bingo card. But also there are some features that may not necessarily be exact like symptoms for criteria which are in line with NPD and those can be extreme charisma, um, having difficulties with things that um, can be seen as like a blow to self-esteem or they're very sensitive to criticism Um, and then also can because of this can kind of be seen as low achieving because they are avoidant of criticism. And I want to note that interestingly, there's a low prevalence in the community. So samples are between like zero and 6%, but it is largely found in males. So between 50 and 75% of people diagnosed with NPD are male. Yeah, that, I think that's one um, a diagnosis that listeners maybe aren't as familiar with as comp- as opposed to like psychopathy or antisocial. Um, you brought up something that I forgot to mention during mine. For antisocial personality disorder, you only need three of the criteria, so a pretty low number of symptoms for um, <laughs> the bingo card for that one. Yeah, so now that we have these kind of the frames for these diagnoses in mind, let's get to the man of the session. Let's talk about Joe. So let's start by talking a little bit about what we learn about Joe's history from season one. So we actually learned that he has quite a bit of a trauma history, which is interesting because that's a theme that's actually now come up during multiple of our episodes. Um, So we learned that he has witnessed domestic violence, um, his dad abusing his mom. Um, He was also abused and neglected by his parents, especially his father. And he actually ends up killing his father to try to protect his mother from the domestic violence. Yeah, so you're right. A lot of trauma, a lot of history of violence. Um, And after all of this, Joe actually loses both parents and enters a group home. Uh, We then see that he is adopted by the bookstore owner that he, you know, the bookstore that he now works in. He's adopted by that older man who also then abuses him emotionally and psychologically. We see that he puts Joe into, you know, that like book vault as a young child and won't let him come out. So definitely a history of abuse there. Who am I to you? You're an asshole. Yes. But who else do you have? 
your father who used your armpit for an ashtray, your mother who never did anything to stop him, or maybe you miss that uh, insect-ridden group home that drove you to my doorstep. You don't care about me. This place could be your salvation. Here, you're safe. Surrounded by the greatest works of humanity. With no choice but to absorb the wisdom of better men. Back in the end, the cage was a good thing for me. I'm hoping it'll be the same for you. Yeah, and it really gives us a sense of where he got some of these distorted views from. So we feel like, you know, thinking about um, how he perceives like the world and relationships is just very distorted and kind of um, can really be seen as potentially being influenced by like this history of just like trauma and just other kind of weird things that have happened to him. I agree. I think, you know, he might have a heightened sense of, like, danger given the violence he saw between his parents. And we see that now this may have distorted his view about his role or his duty, like, in protecting others, right? So we see this with Beck. We see this even later in the show, and we'll get to this, but with his relationship with his neighbor Paco. And this is a reoccurring thing we see with Joe. Yeah, definitely. And also just, like, what is a healthy relationship and what does that look like? And, um, again, we'll get into that as we talk more about him and Beck. So currently, when we start, when we meet Joe, when we start with episode one, he's owning and now running the bookstore. So he's got this stable job. He's pretty organized, seems relatively responsible. Um, And actually, on the bingo card, if we're starting to think about that, that's actually counter to one of the... um, characteristics of someone with ASPD um, or antisocial personality disorder who oftentimes they can be irresponsible. They don't really hold down jobs for very long um, and just different things like that. So that's just kind of an interesting thing um, on the like, I'm not going to put it on my bingo because he doesn't meet those criteria. I agree, but maybe on the NPD bingo, so, you know, people with narcissistic personality disorder, they may have jobs and they can achieve. However, they are usually lower achieving because they are afraid of criticism or blows to their self-esteem. And I think at least what we know of Joe, he does present is as an intellectual. He's reading, he likes to read books. Um, He appears pretty bright, but, you know, he just kind of has stayed in this bookstore where he knows the owner or, you know, was adopted by the owner. We later even Mm -hmm. see that he... Um, may contribute to what befalls the owner so that he can take over the store. But we might actually say that this is him underachieving, which might be a bingo for NPD. Or not a bingo, but a check mark in my square here. <laughs> yeah, don't get too ahead of yourself yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not too ahead of myself. Um, but I think that is a great point. And so now, kind of related to the store, enter Beck. And I think this is where we're going to get into the real, you know, um, for lack of a better term, meat of it all. <laughs> Yeah. So we are checking off a lot of bingo card um, options on ASPD when we talk about Beck. So from the beginning, we already know, um, and we've already talked about this from the beginning of the session, is that he's following her around and he's stalking her. Um, So some things I'm checking off on my bingo card, invading privacy, lying in deceit. So he's um, oftentimes she's catching him in a lie and he's having to get himself out of it. So I'm thinking about that scene where they're in the mattress store and he says, your apartment's not big enough for a king. And she's like, (laughs) how do you know what my apartment looks like? And he like very quickly has to come up with a lie and be like, well, no one's bedroom is big enough for a king in New York City. So he's able to get himself out of these things by lying. Um, So those were some I've checked off in terms of his relationship with Beck already. Yeah, like entering. I think kind of starting off with Joe and his relationship with Beck, one of the big things we're seeing on the NPD bingo card. So I mentioned that one of the biggest parts of NPD is this... um, 
is grandiosity. So that is when someone feels like they have an unrealistic sense of superiority. So they really view themselves better as other people and kind of look at others as more inferior. I think Joe overall has this kind of persona and um, air to him, right? He thinks he's better than people. He thinks he's really deserving of Beck. And then another one that we cannot pass as we're talking about the beginning of him and Beck's relationship, but one of the main symptoms of MPD is being preoccupied with fantasies of ideal love. And I think that's one of the biggest things with Joe here is that he really Mm -hmm. has this idea of what love should look like and that that love is with Beck, this new woman he has discovered and is now following around. Yeah, and I think it's actually a um, symptom that occurs for both ASPD and NPD is that idea of lack of remorse, but it's not even just lack of remorse. It's oftentimes, um, sometimes there might be some remorse there, but it's justifying it based on whatever's going on. So on the NPD side and on the ASPD side, you know, it's this idea that, well, it's all for love or it's for this higher purpose, this like amazing, wonderful thing that I will, I will stop at nothing um, to get basically. Exactly. And I know you mentioned like he was stalking back and kind of, you know, he went into her apartment. He steals her phone like in their first actual encounter that he sets up like in the I believe are they like in the subway station, right? Um, like the subway. Train yeah, he station. like he just happens to save her from dying by train um, and then just happens to have her phone and is like, oh, let me just clone this real quick. So I exactly. can follow your every move. <laughs> could be a classic meet cute except it was orchestrated by a stalker so you know he has her cell phone he then uses that to gain access to her apartment and other things and i think that that ticks off another box here in our mpd bingo because people with narcissistic personality disorder another one of the symptoms is being interpersonally exploitative those are a lot of big words but basically that just means when someone is taking advantage of others or their relationship with others to achieve their own goals so i feel like we really see that he like manipulates the situation he is manipulative of those around him just to get to beck and to kind of prove that he is right for beck and she is right for him yeah definitely And I think, again, we're thinking about these like distorted thoughts and this idea he has of their relationship. So this idea that like he is the right person for her and he's Mm going to take care of her. Um, There's actually an interesting clip where she pretends to understand this is towards the end. So I don't want to spoil it all, but we'll just play a quick (laughs) clip, I think, where um, she's kind of telling him everything he wants to hear about their relationship and all these things he's done for her. I get it now. You get what? You. You did everything for me. No one has ever loved me the way that you love me. You, you gave me everything. Let me give this to you. I mean it. I understand. I was scared I could have done something, something really stupid when I found that box, but this, This gave me time to think. I hurt you. I scared you. I understand. If you hate me. I love you. I think that's a perfect clip. And that clip we really hear Beck. She's describing exactly what Joe wants to hear. She's saying, you know, I know now you did this all for me. You gave me everything. So kind of going back to the story arch and about what happens with Joe, what does Joe do for Beck? What does he give to Beck? (laughs) So he feels like he does a lot for her, right? He's like dedicating all this time. He's kind of orchestrating all these things to make sure her life goes well or goes perfectly the way that she wants to so she can be this 
this amazing author. Um, and some things that he does to try to facilitate this end up being killing people that are getting in the way <laughs> of him and Beck's relationship or that he deems to be like not helpful or healthy for her. Um, so one of these people ends up being Peach, which is like her best friend for a long, long time, who he discovers might also be a stalker, which is just really fascinating First of all, that there's two stalkers that this girl has. Yeah. <laughs> um, and second, the clip or like the scene where he discovers this, he's like so judgmental of Peach. He's like, I can't believe this. You're like invading her privacy. I'm not sure what I'm looking for, but I'll know it when I... Oh, GB, Guinevere Beck? Is this blackmail? No, there's too much of it. Going too far back. I know what it's like to be in love with you, Beck. This is not what love looks like. This isn't how love behaves. This is the work of a sick mind. Let's call it what it is, perversion. Now I understand why Peach is setting you up for failure. She's not threatened by you. She's obsessed with you. You know I love you forever, right? She wants to watch you, have you, control you like she controls every other piece of her life. She wants you all to herself. Beck, you've got a stalker. It's like, Joe, what? You're doing this exact same thing. I know. It really goes back to those distorted thoughts. Like, you know, in Joe's mind, he really has rationalized all of his actions, but then he's like hypercritical or has developed this way in which he feels like he's protecting her and doesn't really have the insight to see like what he's doing. Um, I think you brought up another great point and something that is on the NPD bingo is this envy of others. So... People with NPD are often envious of others or often believe that others are envious of them. I think with Joe, we see this envy repeatedly. When he first meets Peach, he's very critical of all of her relationships. He thinks that none of her friends mm -hmm. are good enough for her. He's jealous of the amount of time that she spends with Peach. When he discovers that she has a boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, whatever he is, Benji, he's very envious of Benji. And even when he is, you know, he's cloned her phone and he sees that she's texting with someone, he becomes very envious and very, you know, um, kind of protective. And it turns out to be her father. So I think over and over again, we're seeing that he's very envious and really does not want Beck to have any other relationships because he just doesn't really deem them like worthy of Beck. Yeah, and like you said, he's jealous of them. He doesn't want her to have these relationships with other people. He's very controlling. He wants to have, like, a yes. say in everything that she does and be the person that um, her life revolves around. Um, and his envy or his, like, jealousy leads him to have these impulsive decisions of, like, in the situation yes. of Benji, that's not really a premeditated thing. Obviously, he's got this, like, anger from him brewing, but him actually attacking him seems to be a little bit impulsive or, like, emotionally based, not um, something that he he's been like planning out for a very long time which is why it doesn't go that well um and he has to do a lot of like cleanup for lack of a better word to kind of cover his mm -hmm. tracks yeah definitely i think you know um joe is like a mixture of some things are pre-planned and then other things are definitely impulsive like we see some pre-planned action when he's trying to you know run into Beck or like go into her apartment but we definitely see him acting impulsively um one of the things interestingly with mpd is often when people have or perceive criticism or there is a blow in their self-esteem. So I think we see this like when, um, you know, not to give it all away, but at the end when Beck finally admits to Joe that she doesn't really believe all of those things that she said, that, you know, Joe's love was perfect and he did all this for her, mm -hmm. he really takes that as a blow. And people with MPD will react with rage or with some more impulsivity. It's more emotion reactivity that we can see as well with this. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and impulsivity is also another uh, symptom of ASPD, so that's another check on my bingo card as well. Yeah, so I think both a- ASPD and NPD are really um, collecting check marks on the bingo cards here. Joe has so a lot far. going on. <laughs> So I think another interesting piece is this idea of we've both mentioned like lack of remorse or empathy, which I think he does meet. But I think it does bring up some interesting questions in some of his relationships, like with Paco, for example. So there's this young neighborhood kid that he really takes like an affinity to partially, I think, because he sees himself in this young boy. He's got a single mother and the mom has an abuse, a physically abusive boyfriend that comes Mm -hmm. over. And so um, I don't know. What do you think about his relationship with Paco? And does that give him some like redemption? or like empathy or remorse do you think you know I think that's what's most interesting about Joe is we do see this lack of remorse this lack of empathy um, I think in particular with when it's aligned with his goals so when the goal or when the distorted thought that he has is that he needs to end up with Beck and she is the love of his life having to kill or hurt others or lie or even be deceitful with Beck he kind of is able to rationalize and kind of doesn't really seem to feel bad it's kind of like well this is what I have to do and I'm just doing it Um, but then you see that he seems to empathize with this young boy who you know he goes to great lengths to also protect so you know I feel like he definitely demonstrates the lack but we can see sometimes when it benefits him or maybe if it's because he can kind of relate to Paco we do see Mm -hmm. a bit of that empathy yeah I would agree with that and I think it's kind of in line like when he has certain people for you know lack of a better word again that he's just like fixated on like Beck like Paco then it's Mm -hmm. like he feels for them or wants to do what he thinks is, is right to protect them even though it maybe isn't always the the best route that he takes and I think that's where he has that lack though that disconnect because to him I don't think there is anything that he wouldn't do at that point to end up with Beck right um and Mm -hmm. he has definitely built up this like world in his head almost like from the very beginning um one of the creepier scenes is when he's first like walking around Beck's apartment and he's like going through all of her stuff when we live together your place won't be a pigsty I'll clean for us and you won't eat all this frozen shit I'll cook for you every day I promise. I'll even do your laundry. He definitely has in his head, like, I will do any and everything for this woman. (laughs) Right. Even if it's not what she wants or what he should do. Yeah, it doesn't even really matter. It's interesting because it's like on the surface level, the idea that he really cares and loves about loves this person, but really he doesn't care that much about like what she wants or it's all about no. like his version of that love story or that relationship. And if it's not in exactly the way that he envisions it to be, then it causes problems. I think that's a great point. And do you remember, so in in season one, him and Beck, they actually end up breaking up for a while. And at first, he's, like, very angry. Um, Mm -hmm. But then after using some more deceit, he goes and he starts seeing the same therapist that Beck is seeing under a guise. um, And he actually listens to some tapes of Beck talking to the therapist. And he hears her, like, describing how she's doing or things that she's struggling with. And he finally himself comes to the conclusion that, you know, oh, Beck is doing better without me. This is what is good for her. But it's like he has to come to that conclusion. He has to know what's best for Beck. Like Beck doesn't know and he's not going to take it if Beck is the one saying it, right? Like it's like he has Mm -hmm. these ideas and only then does it count. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Very, again, like controlling and almost like a puppet master wanting to kind of dictate all the different actions and relationships and things going on. 
Yeah, and he, you know, the therapist is another character that he's very envious of and, you know, is suspicious of initially. Um, Unfortunately, I think Dr. Fran, you can touch on this a little bit, seems like he might have some uh, reason to be suspicious of Beck's therapist. Yes. um, Unsurprisingly, Beck is having an affair with her therapist because that is apparently how all TV shows and movies want to portray therapy. But um, (laughs) there is actually an interesting scene related to thinking about the remorse piece where Joe does go to confront um, the therapist and try to figure out whether they're having an affair. He takes the phone. He finds out they are. He has a gun even and is getting ready to shoot him. And um, Dr. Nikki, the therapist, is pleading with him, saying, I have a family, all these things. And Joe... Joe actually has little flashbacks to, I think, something that Beck says and ends up not killing him and says, you know, you'll get what's coming to you later. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's empathy or remorse, but again, (laughs) it's kind of like picking and choosing when he's going to, uh, you know, make those statements of love or whatever you want to call them. That's true. He definitely, at the very least, demonstrates a little less impulsivity in that situation. Um, But again, I don't think, I don't think in the moment this is what he's thinking of. But, you know, as the season wraps up, we do find that very conveniently, Beck is able to write a narrative of her and Joe's story, and she ends up blaming everything on Dr. Nikki. Um, So it almost kind of gives Joe this perfect perfect package of like Mm -hmm. as if he was manipulating the situation because then dr nikki really takes the blame for it all (laughs) which is kind of which is uh, really a twist which is really frustrating because then joe is basically reinforced for his behavior so he decided not to be as impulsive and murder this person and then they end up being able to use it as a front or you know kind of an out for joe so that he doesn't get framed um, for what happens at the end of the season but then it's just like showing him like oh things will all work out you can just keep going on breaking the rules doing whatever you want invading people's privacy and things will work out for you yes and ultimately this is a major spoiler alert but hopefully you have watched season one if you're watching this joe kills beck at the end when she finally you know really spurs Uh, or rejects his love advances and lets him know, like, I'm just saying what you want to hear. I don't love you. And she tries to escape. He kills Beck. And in the end, he's also justified because he just sees it as, oh, like, Beck didn't really love me and I didn't really love her that way. And I'll find love again. (laughs) Yeah. Which we see as a pattern, right? And I think I actually, um, to be completely honest, have not seen season two yet. But we definitely get some hints from season one that this is a pattern. This is a relationship kind of like, pattern of um you know that he had with candace his ex and then i imagine i'm guessing from what i've seen from the previews for season two that he develops another infatuation and relationship with someone yes and i think this really goes back to this like sense of you know this obsession with an ideal love um he will continue to search for it until he finds it but can you really really ever reach that ideal i guess we'll find out in joe's case as the show progresses (laughs) maybe So taking all of that into account, what diagnosis do we think we would give Joe? Let's both take a quick look at our bingo cards. Uh, Dr. Sam, do you Mm want to tell us what you got for MPD? Sure. So I will say that we do have at least five of the check marks needed for a diagnosis of NPD. So just briefly, you know, as we talked about, he does have this preoccupation with fantasies of an ideal love. Uh, We talked about that a lot with his feelings towards Beck, and it seems like he even had similar feelings with his past love interest, Candace. Um, We also see that he has this overall like sense of entitlement. So like we talked about feeling like he is better than others. Um, Also, they talk about 
with this diagnostic criteria that he feels like there should be automatic compliance with his expectations. And I definitely think we see this throughout the show with Beck. It's like he feels like he's doing all this for Beck and he has certain expectations of how she should behave and what she should do as well. Um, we have that he takes advantage of others to achieve his goals, which we talked about. Dr. Fran and I also talked about the lack of empathy throughout our discussion of Joe. Um, we brought up the envy that he has of others in several instances like Peach and Benji, etc. And then lastly, there is this one about just kind of showing arrogant behaviors or attitudes. I think overall, like one of the cool things, I know we didn't really touch upon this yet, but one of the cool things about you is we do get a great insight into his inner monologue because mm-hmm. we are hearing him talk throughout. And he definitely has these arrogant thoughts about, you know, like even about Beck, like taking care of her and doing things better when he's with her um, and just kind of feeling like he's better than a lot of people and um, other people aren't good enough for Beck or himself. So those are the main criteria. We also talked about the features. So I think he is charismatic. Um, We talked about him being a male. Um, So I think, you know, he would technically meet criteria. But before we decide, let's look at the ASPD bingo card. Yeah, so kind of similarly, he is checking off a lot also on the ASPD bingo card. So again, for ASPD, you only need three of these. So you don't actually have to have that many to meet criteria. So I have checked off like disregard for the rights of others. So he's not really caring that much when he is, you know, breaking into Beck's house or, you know, kind of these basic human rights. He's not really um, abiding Murdering by. people. Yeah, murdering people. That's a good example. Um, (laughs) Lack of remorse, like we've already talked about, or not even just lack of remorse, but, you know, justifying or rationalizing the hurt that he's causing others. Lying and deceit, that one comes up pretty early. And then also impulsiveness that we see every once in a while. Yeah, so again, we're seeing that he's hitting quite a few and technically enough to meet criteria for ASPD as well. Yeah. So it seems like he may meet criteria for both of these. However, one of the things I didn't mention with um, NPD, which I think might make us lean a little bit more towards ASPD, is given that there is these violations of rights of others as well as the criminal behavior, neither of these are really characteristic of NPD while they are more characteristic of ASPD. What do you think about that, Dr. Fran? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Technically, you can have multiple personality disorders, so one could have both ASPD and NPD. There are a lot of common characteristics among them, so that can get tricky, but I think if we were going to lean towards one, ASPD does seem to make a little bit more sense. And in reality, Joe may not really fit neatly into one of these diagnoses, and some may argue that he's exhibiting a different diagnosis. Um, Also important to note that you can't, in the real world, take a bingo card and check off boxes and give yourself a diagnosis or your significant other or a family member a diagnosis by using these bingo cards. You do have to be... Yeah, please don't. (laughs) Yeah, please don't use these bingo cards to diagnose other people. Um, You can use it for fun while you watch TV shows and movies like us, but that's it. Um, But you do have to get a formal assessment by a mental health professional in order to get any of the diagnoses that we'll talk about on the podcast, um, including the personality disorders that we're talking about today. Um, But some might think, and we do learn a little bit more about this, I believe, in season two, which, again, I haven't seen it yet, um, that maybe Joe would fit more into a trauma-related diagnosis or something, again, like we alluded to before, that reflects a little bit more of how his upbringing or these experiences really shaped uh, his behavior and his thoughts and just how he interacts with the world. Yes, so maybe when we cover season two of you, we'll get a little bit more into that. Um, I do want to note, you know, just like Dr. Fran mentioned, please don't go around diagnosing people with these bingo cards. They're more for fun. Um, And just like educationally, we're trying to teach people the diagnostic criteria. 
It is also very important to note that not all individuals with the diagnosis we have discussed today will act violently like Joe. So, you know, it's always important to remember that Joe was created for TVE, and he's probably just a combination of symptoms and personality traits that are much more exaggerated that we would than we would expect to see in actual people in real life. And it's understandable that TV and movies may take this approach at times to tell a more interesting story or to create characters like Joe that even with the stalking and murdering they still elicit empathy and we still like joe so just another reminder that joe's portrayal is not exactly consistent with what we may expect to see in real life yeah and i think you alluded to something really important there dr sam which gets us a little bit into another point we wanted to talk about which is that we do develop some empathy and some interest in joe so even though he's like a serial killer (laughs) a stalker really creepy um, a lot of people who watch the show found themselves being really um, empathetic towards Joe or even rooting for him and Beck to end up together at the end or even thinking that Joe's character was like romantically or sexually attractive. (laughs) Um, So we wanted to just spend a few minutes talking about like why that is. Mm -hmm. So I do think a big part of this is that You know, Joe is the protagonist. We hear his thoughts. We hear why he's doing things that he's doing. Um, Like you mentioned, we're hearing all of this rationalization. So we start to take his perspective. And I think that this kind of builds Mm -hmm. or is partly responsible to why the viewers will develop empathy and start to kind of cheer for him. Definitely. And I think there's a lot of things that, and it's almost like a literary technique, but that we're seeing in like a show of like, we're taking his perspective, we're getting more insight into his justification for things. And I think there's a really interesting thing that the um, directors or producers did where they have him say things um, overlaid with like creepy behaviors that seem to be romantic. Like if you take the context out of it, he's saying like, I'll cook for you every day. I'll make the bed for you every day. I'll clean for you. So you can just spend all your days writing. Like, who wouldn't want a partner who's going to do all of those things for you? Um, But then you actually look at what he's doing and he's like stealing her underwear and like finding her laptop so he can like stalk her more. Mm -hmm. And I think some people can start to buy in. You know, he's describing his love for her. It's so strong. Um, You know, he really loves her and he's doing all of this to be with her. And because of those like literary and writing and directorial techniques you mentioned, it starts to maybe even appear romantic to some (laughs) I think one of the things that makes Joe relatable is that his overarching goal, the thing he is seeking, is love. His desire for love, and that is something a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're really hitting the nail on the head there of, like, he's reaching this, like, one shared, um, you know, goal that a lot of people have is to have this, like, love and I saw I read some interesting articles talking about how you know uh, especially for our generation raised on like Disney movies and um, you know the Disney princess and the knight in shining armor like he does he even buys into that and so I think that really taps into um, some kind of like empathy or relationship that we can um, kind of understand Joe a little bit in that aspect. Yeah, and I think it's kind of, uh, this might be a good place to bring up, you know, the actor, so Penn Bagley, this has actually been a common thing in social media, on Twitter, in the public, you know, people just expressing their love for Joe um, and his love for Beck, and uh, the actor had some things to say about this. Yeah, he was pretty disturbed by it. Um, (laughs) In some interviews, they have him kind of like 
quoting like or I think in some of his tweets actually he's like responded being like he's a serial killer he's a murderer like when people have been like oh what is it about Joe I think is the one that I'm thinking about so he's been pretty harsh or like originally was pretty harsh to come back and say like this is not a character to um, like idolize or um, different things like that yeah I think it's really funny there are a couple articles where they show this like almost like Twitter battle where people will say these things like oh my god I can't wait for season two or I wish Joe would love me that way and the actor will just respond with but he's a killer or like really funny things like you were mentioning where it's just he's trying to counter um, that viewpoint like he wants people to realize like yes this is made for entertainment but to, to take a step back and see like he is stalking this woman he is killing people like this is not the way you go about finding love yeah, I really liked a quote that he had. I think it was in an interview um, on a TV show where he talked about how um, he thought it was, you know, a portrayal that was supposed to be a commentary, like a social commentary. And I want to read one of these quotes because I just thought it was really interesting and I don't want to misquote him. He said, well, it says something about how much we're willing to be patient and forgive someone who inhabits a body that looks something like mine, the color of my skin, my gender, these sorts of things, these sorts of privileges. And then he went on to say, and you know, and how much less willing to forgive people who don't fix those boxes. I think that's a great point, right? Like he is um, a male, he is good looking, he's obviously on our TV screen. And so there can be a social commentary here that people were willing to overlook or forgive things that we may not in other populations. So I think that's enough about Joe, but we did want to just briefly mention that there was a therapy portrayal in this TV show. We did not get a lot into it. That wasn't really the main focus of what we wanted to take away and share with you guys about this um, session, but we did feel like we needed to acknowledge, unfortunately, that Beck does sleep with the therapist. And what do we think about that, Dr. Sam? Um, as you may remember, we briefly dabbled in this in Step Brothers, but that is a big no-no or a peach don't, if you will. We do not condone, um, nor does the APA condone having uh, sexual relations with your patients or clients. <laughs> Yeah, I did appreciate, though, that this was a little bit of a callback to our session on stepbrothers because John Stamos was the therapist, Dr. Nikki. So I did think that was just a kind of a funny a connection to what we talked about last session. If you were a chick, who's the one guy you would sleep with? John Stamos. I know there have been a lot of funny little like connections through all of these. So I think it's always fun to uh, point out. <laughs> Um, also, something I want to bring up I thought was interesting, but Joe kind of does a peach don't in reverse, I feel like, when he goes to see Dr. Nikki and kind of fabricates this, like, personality persona and um, is almost, you know, meeting with the therapist for a different reason other than actually finding, like, a benefit or help, even though it does kind of seem to help him in some parts when he's using the therapy session. But I think that can almost be a reverse don't, you know, like, don't go see a therapist if you're going to lie about who you are and just make up stories. <laughs> kind of like... Um, Again, a callback to Step Brothers, but John C. Riley's character just makes up that he is Will Hunting from Good Will Hunting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And another reverse PH don't is don't break into your therapist's office to download session audio from your girlfriend or oh. your ex-girlfriend. Yeah, definitely a don't. I think that's a great segue into PH don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, are you, you going to like keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. Don't smoke weed during your sessions. Don't give your patient expensive gifts. 
We'll say it once and we will say it many times in the future. Do not sleep with your patients. All right. So, you know, like we promised in the beginning, a lot of great content, a lot to really discuss with you and, and Joe. So what did you think overall of you, Dr. Fran? So I think in terms of a bingeable TV show, I would give it a big thumbs up. I actually binge watched the entire first season while dog sitting for Dr. Sam. (laughs) Um, I sat on the couch with her dog and ate pizza and watched the entire season. (laughs) Um, So I think it's like very entertaining. It's something that you want to know what happens next. So I think in terms of like a show quality in that way, I would give it a thumbs up. What about you? Yeah, I agree. It's a very entertaining show. I similarly binge watched it all. I think I was home for the holidays with my family and we just watched all of it. I think the portrayals, you know, as we discussed, like Joe may meet criteria for multiple diagnoses, but it's it could be much more complex. And I think when we dive into some of the things that come up in season two, that picture might even change. There might be some more nuances there. I definitely... Um, think like we talked about some of it has been exaggerated for our entertainment so Mm -hmm. you know I'm not one of those people that finds myself in love with the character of Joe I definitely feel like he is flawed and a murderer so um, but a very fun show to watch yeah and I think again like we will be giving automatic ratings to all shows and tv shows where the client or patient and the therapist sleep together there's a thumbs down for the portrayal of therapy automatically in this show Yes, I think definitely, you know, there's that they sleep together. They have a full on relationship. I think Dr. Nikki promises like to leave his family and wants to be with Beck. There's just a lot of things that we, um, you know, do not approve of in terms of the way therapy was portrayed. And ultimately, Dr. Nikki is framed for murder. So um, not the best portrayal there. (laughs) No, not portrayed in a very good light. Nope. Well, thanks for joining us. Session's up for you. So let us know your thoughts on the show. We'd also love to hear what other questions you may have about psychology. um, And let us know what movies or TV shows you want us to put on the couch and break down next. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon. Our creative director, Eric. And webmaster, Don. (laughs) 